You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You'll die in the state of your sins and God will count that as your judgment. You see, there's no chance after death. Why wait? Now please observe that conviction of sin is essential to any gospel presentation. There is no logical need for anyone that you're going to go out and talk to to run and flee to Jesus until they see themselves as lost, until they realize they're on a pathway towards judgment. When did you know you needed a Savior? The thing about being saved is that you first need to know that you're lost. You need to know that you're in need before you ask for help. Everyone on this planet is headed for judgment unless and until they call on the name of Jesus. But when you call on his name, he is faithful and true and he will rescue you. In today's message, Pastor Tom is going to discuss the need for truth-telling when you share the gospel with the people around you. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Yes, I am trying to convert you. What does the heart include? It includes your conscience, it includes your mind, your will, your emotions, the center of you, all that is you. It's all the thinking, reasoning, willing person that is the inside. It's their heart that was convicted. And, and it was pierced. Katanuso is the Greek term. It's used only here in the New Testament, and it refers to the pain that you get because of a stab. Ouch. Down to the innermost part of the being. Genuinely pierced. Someone else said they were cut to the heart. One scholar noted that in Homer's writings, this Greek word was used of horses stomping the ground with their hooves. In other words, it, it convicted them. It hit them hard. It cut them deeply. It hurt. Didn't I say that last time, that good preaching sometimes hurts? When you speak to people about the gospel, don't be afraid to talk to their hearts. Talk to their mind and their conscience, but also their heart. Don't just make it be an intellectual battle. Go right to their hearts. Don't avoid saying the hard thing. See, again, if you're honest, sometimes you're out there witnessing and you just want people to like you. If you go out there with the understanding they're probably not going to like you, you'll be a better evangelist because you won't worry about it. Get your friends in here or from other Christian churches. Get some good friendships so they can console you when you get yelled at. And when you go out there just like, they're probably not going to like me. And then you'll do better. And that's what I do. I gave up on people liking me a long time ago. I mean, why? Why? They're not the kind of friend I necessarily want to have if they're going to reject Christ anyways, right? I care about them. I want to serve them, love them. I want to help them. I would do things for them. But they're not really going to be a confidant, someone that I can be close to. I just want to see them. I don't don't care if, if they go away hating me. If somewhere down the road they forgot my name and they get saved, wasn't it worth it? Wasn't it worth it? I didn't hear an amen on that. Wasn't it worth it? I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it to be not liked. You can be gentle. You don't need to be obnoxious. You could be gentle. Just be firm. Look them in the eye with tenderness and determination and tell them you're lost. By the way, that's how I got saved. The guy that witnessed to me said, Tom, there's only two families. There's a family of God and the family of Satan. You belong to one of those two. And I knew which one I belonged to. Imagine going up to someone saying, you know, you probably belong to the family of Satan. It's <laughs> pretty much what he told me. And the Lord used that. I just knew it was true. I mean, I knew I wasn't part of the family of God. The way I was living, it's pretty obvious. So I tell him the truth. Care about them, but don't spare the punch. How is the Holy Spirit going to convict them if you're trying to soften everything? Let's schmooze it over. Let's not use our Bibles too much. 
Let's let them know they can sneak in. What, the, there's a back door to heaven? Well, sneak in the back door. There's no back door to heaven. By the way, if you're not going to speak the full truth, it'd be better for you to stay quiet. Don't make the straight ways of the Lord crooked. Now, notice the positive response. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now, from whence comes that question? And the answer is it comes from deep within. Deep within them, they realized we killed our long-awaited Messiah. The one that our ancestors told us to wait for, the one they'd been praying for for generations, dear great-great-great-great-great-grandmother whatever, and she passed this down and told us it would be a wonderful day when the Messiah came. He came, and we killed him. We didn't just kill him. We crucified him. We cried out for his crucifixion. We didn't just do that to the Holy One of Israel. We turned him over to the Gentile dogs to have him crucified. Cried for executing the Holy One, the Blessed One. Can you think of any sin in the entire universe that is worse than that sin? By the way, if you're thinking you've committed too great of a sin to be forgiven by God, you didn't commit this sin. And God's going to forgive these people. So you remember that, okay? Imagine the level of that conviction. Can you imagine the hush that came over the crowd before those words came out? Brethren, what do we do now? They're realizing, what do we do now? It's, it's not just that they killed their Messiah. It's that Peter just finished saying that God put him at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in the heavens. He can trample down any of his enemies, and they are his enemy. And they're realizing it's like, we're doomed. I mean, they just finished having breakfast. They were going to have a great day, day of Pentecost, festivities. And now they realized we're doomed. We put them to death. John MacArthur, his little quote, he says, stunned by their inability to evade the indictment that they were guilty of heinous behavior before God, they were overcome by grief and remorse. By the way, do you see the danger in only preaching about the love of God? Do you see that? If you only preach, if you only say God loves you, God's got a wonderful plan for your life, God accepts you the way you are, that gives them a false security because they've never been led to conviction. And that's an important component of conversion. They have to have a conviction of sin. If everything is fine with them, then whatever relationship they have with Jesus is more like a life coach than it is a savior from sin. There are many people have Jesus like as a life coach, but they've never been convicted of their sin. They're not really believers. They're not really converted. They've buddied up to Jesus. They're using Jesus to get rich or whatever, but that's not conversion. They're told about the love of God, but they weren't told God hates the way you live. God hates the way you live. Wait, is it appropriate to use God and hate in the same sentence? Let me say it again. God hates the way you live. Of course he does. He's holy and we're not holy. Of course he hates the way we live. Amazing thing is he still what? Loves us. You can't even understand how great the love of God is for you until you understand how much he hates the way you talk and the way you think and your behavior and the way you've been for years and years. He hates all that and he still loves you. And me. It's amazing. This is the kind of question I think that the Philippian jailer really said when he realized he'd heard Paul and Silas singing hymns. They were thrown in the prison and he heard them singing hymns and he was about to kill himself because he thought that his prisoners were gone. And he's so desperate. I mean, he's like, he's going to do the thing where he kills himself because his prisoners got away and I guess he didn't want to suffer the consequences for that. And then 
They call out to him and say, well, we're still here. And the Philippian jailer runs to him and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's kind of the same question here. Once you understand eternal peril, once you die and slip into eternity, there is no more help for you. I had someone tell me, they said, you know, I'll figure out whether Jesus is the Savior or not after I die. I said, it's going to be too late. It's appointed to men once to die, and after that comes, not a second chance. The Bible says in Hebrews, judgment. Jesus said to the Jews in John 8, I believe it was, he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You'll die in the state of your sins, and God will count that as your judgment. You see, there's no chance after death. Why wait? Now, please observe that conviction of sin is essential to any gospel presentation. There is no logical need for anyone that you're going to go out and talk to to run and flee to Jesus until they see themselves as lost, until they realize they're on a pathway towards judgment. That rock song really did have truth in it. I'm on a highway to hell, and it won't be fun. Why come to Jesus if you're not a sinner? You might as well just meditate like a Buddhist. You might as well just do those five external pathways of Islam. It's all external, simple. Just do the seven sacraments of a Catholic. It's all external. It's religion. It's easy to do. But if you realize God is going to condemn me, now you're going to hunt for a savior and one that's going to do the job right. Jesus died on the cross for sins, nobody else. Jesus rose from the dead to beat death, nobody else. There's only one Savior, the Savior of the world, Christ Jesus, 1 John chapter 4. None of those external man's religions go deep enough. Man's religion never convicts the human being. You don't need to change some things about your life. Your entire life is wrong. Any view of God, a God, that does not see him as high and holy and angry with sin is a false God and a false gospel. Please don't be swept up in the spirit of the age. It's viewed now as you're so unloving and you're so wrong to tell people they're bad and they need to convert. You know, in some ways, political correctness is not an act of love. It's an attack upon truth. When you speak truth and you're told you're not allowed to say that, there's something wrong with the people making the rules. I'll go a step further. Without truth, there is no love. Love disappears. It's gone. Trying to fix something that is broken is noble. Being a surgeon to heal a person in need is a good work. Converting People, to get them saved is the best work you can do. Are you doing that work? Are you out there trying to convert other people? They cannot avoid the pain of conviction. They cannot make it into the kingdom of God until they realize, I'm doomed without Christ. And you must not spare them the pain. Peter knew this pain. Jesus did a miracle early on in the ministry and he's coming to Peter and Peter said, go away from me, Lord. Why? I'm a sinful man. He knew it. It was uncomfortable to be around the holy presence of Christ. 
Paul understood it. Paul's on the road to Damascus to put Christians in jail. He realized, I have been persecuting the Messiah's church. Later in 1 Timothy, he said, of all the sinners on planet earth, I am the chief sinner. He was not exaggerating. He believed that his sin in trying to stamp out the church in its infancy was the worst thing that could be done. The Bible says, all have sinned. The Bible is a hard book to interpret. We don't really know what it means. We all can just interpret it any way we want. All have sinned. It's just really difficult to understand the Bible, what it means. We all have our own interpretations. It's difficult. There's so many denominations. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Check out the context, Romans 3. It means all. So when you are out there, tell them the truth, even if it hurts, especially if it hurts. Tell them the whole truth. Don't hold back. When you start to feel, see them feeling bad, tell them more. It's better to spend more time making them feel bad so their conversion is genuine. I just wanted you to see that. The mighty power of the word and the conviction of sin are the first two important components of conversion. We're only going to be able to start the third one today. And the third component is this. Write it down if you're taking notes. Genuine repentance. There must be genuine repentance. We've only got to verse 38, I realize. But it's important, okay? Verse 38, the beginning. So they've asked him, what can we do? You might have thought Peter might have said nothing. Thank God there's something here. What is the something? Peter said to them, the ones asking this question, the ones convicted of sin. There's got to be a conviction of sin. And so Peter says it to them, and he says, repent. You ever see how Satan likes to make fun in this world also of people that would stand on the street corner and say what? Little sign going up and down. Repent. He's got a long beard. Looks like he's a wacko. So you don't want to be like him, so don't ever use the word repent as sort of the way it comes to you. Do you see? You need to recover that word. It's a good word. Basically means to turn, turn back to God. And you can say that if you don't, you don't think people understand repent. You can say you need to turn back to God. You need to come back to God. You see? Once they have heard, once they have been deeply convicted, then God says, do not stop merely with your sorrow. Oh, I feel so bad. We killed the Messiah. Not good enough. There's no conversion there yet. That's only the beginning of conversion. That's only the first little part. I feel really bad about my sin. I feel like I've wasted my life. I feel like I've done wrong. I feel like I'm understanding now that the way I lived is not acceptable to God. The, the moral standards are so much higher. My mouth has been filthy. I, I've, I've, had, I've been involved in sexual sin, and, and I don't even want to talk about what I've thought about in my mind. And you get to that point, you're not yet converted. You're just sorrowful. You're just sad. A lot of people going to hell will be sorrowful and sad. They're not going to be drinking Bud Light, going to hell, dilly dilly. Let's have a good time. They're not even going to have a friend in hell. Don't stop with mere sorrow. Don't just let it in. Oh, they feel bad. That's not good enough. Now you got to tell them what to do. Repent. Turn back. Listen. Repentance is required by God. If you don't tell them they must repent, you haven't given them the proper response to the good news. 
Repentance is a clear biblical doctrine. Oh, I've got so much here. I'll have to cut this off somewhere, but I've got to give you something. Acts chapter 26, write this passage down. Acts 26, 19 through 20. The apostle Paul this time is uh, presenting these words in defense of his apostolic preaching ministry. He's talking to a king. He was told he would have to give the gospel to kings, and here's one he's giving to. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, verse 20, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should, here it is again, Paul and Peter saying the same thing, they should repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God are just two ways of saying the same thing. And then it has this little ING clause, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. The deeds that come after repentance are not the repentance, but they're the necessary sign that repentance has happened. If repentance, repentance literally means a change of mind. It comes from a Greek term, metanoia. Meta, it's kind of a compound word. Meta means after, and noia is the mind. And so it means a thought after or a change of mind. In other words, after it happened, you change your mind. You had an afterthought. And now you're completely reversing yourself. If someone was walking that direction and they decided, I'm going the wrong direction, they turn and come back this direction, it'd be a U-turn, we'd call it. That would be repentance. They're changing their direction entirely. It's not a slight slight change to their direction. It's a complete U-turn. They're going away from God. They're living life for themselves. They're involved in a false religion with a false God. They've had bad theology. Now they realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm convicted. It's not a slight little change. It's a complete, oh, wow, I got to go back and I got to admit I was wrong. That's exactly right. It's the hardest pathway possible to retrace the steps and say, I did wrong. Now, the the fruit of repentance, the deeds of repentance are necessary to prove the change of mind has happened. Imagine someone sitting around and saying, I changed my mind, but they don't change what they did, right? You're like, well, did you really change your mind or not? There are a lot of people in church, they say they changed their mind, but they don't look like they changed their mind. They look like they're still living for the world. They're still living for money. They're still living for sex, for a good time, for fun. My God, I worship the God. He has a very fancy name. I worship the God. Before I worship Christ, I worshiped another God, and his name was Fun. F-U-N, Fun. I thought he was fun. I chased fun all I could get. Any and every form of fun. God said, you got to live for me, and sometimes, a lot of times, it's not going to be fun. And we're going to test how much you love me or not. That's what you have to do. You have to repent. I'm now no longer going to live for this. Now I'm going to live for Christ, you see. Paul said repentance is a necessary part of the ongoing gospel proclamation. By the way, some said the repentance was only said to the Jews and not to the Gentiles. Acts 26 makes it very clear that repentance was for the Gentiles also. The Liberty New Testament commentary makes this note. There can be no doubt that repentance was an essential ingredient to salvation and was a vital part of Paul's apostolic preaching, end quote. If you are not preaching repentance, you are not preaching the proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll give you another quote from Peter in Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Peter's preaching again. He says, now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away 
in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What is repentance? Repentance involves returning to God. Some are straying away, and the call of repentance is quit straying, quit living the way you want to, and come back. In fact, I'll take it a step further and say that repentance is a prominent and necessary biblical doctrine. The very first word John the Baptist preached out in the wilderness, the very first word that Jesus enjoined in his public preaching ministry was, you guessed it, the word what? Repent. Matthew 3, 1 to 3, now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent, turn back, see, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Repentance makes your heart straight. It makes the pathway straight back to God. Richard Owen Roberts in his book entitled Repentance, the First Word of the Gospel, writes this. Not only is the word repent the dominant note in John the Baptist's message, But he made the concept of repentance absolutely clear. Repentance makes the paths straight between the Lord and the repenting person. Repentance is like clearing a highway of holiness to God, to and from God. Jesus proclaimed repentance, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, and here's his first word, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to turn back and come in. You've got to turn back and come in. At one time, Jesus sternly warned a group of Jews. They'd seen a, they'd heard of a, a tower falling on some Jews and the, this, this concrete or whatever it was made out of, the stone tower fell and it crushed a bunch of Jews. And then people start speculating, why did those Jews get crushed by that tower? Maybe they did some kind of a sin. That must be it. The tower fell on them and not on others because they had some sin and they got caught. And they came and asked Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, what do you think about that? And his answer was, no. It's not because of that. I tell you, unless you repent, he was talking to the crowd, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. If not by dying by a tower with something else and it will lead to your destruction. We do that in America, do we not? We watch a natural disaster on TV and we say, oh, those poor people living in that God-forsaken country. I'm so glad I'm here in America. Well, listen again to Jesus' words. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance is even part of the commission that Jesus gave to the church right after his resurrection. In Luke 24, 46, it says, thus it is written that the Christ, these are Jesus' words, it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Again, one more quote from Richard Owen Roberts' book. He says, not only was repentance the first word of Christ's ministry, it was also the last. Anyone called by God as a follower of Jesus Christ who fails to stress this message of repentance does so in express violation of a final command Christ gave. You cannot preach any other gospel than the one of repentance. Hear that loud and hear that clear. And we'll get into more of the meaning of repentance and whether or not you have repented, what repentance looks like in our heart, the fruit of repentance, even biblical examples of repentance when we come back, God willing. Now I'm about to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this 
congregation, please help us to be exhorted and sharpened and gain discernment by this teaching on biblical conversion. And we would pray anyone in here who's not yet repented. And we know even in the country of Russia, they don't even refer to believers as believers, but as repenters. Anyone who's not repented of their life of sin, you would convict them because they've heard your word and draw them to yourself. Amen. When Peter had finished preaching at Pentecost, the people were devastated by the realization that they had killed their Messiah and asked, what shall we do? In today's message, Pastor Tom showed us the next crucial element of a true conversion, and that is conviction of sin. There is never a need to run to Jesus until there is a conviction of sin. It is the truth that brings sinners to repentance. So share the truth boldly. We're blessed to be able to share the good news of the gospel with our listeners through the ministry of Discover Hope. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, or if you have more questions, we invite you to visit the What Does It Mean to Be a Christian page under the About Us at HopeBible.org. This will provide you with a concise description of why you need Jesus in your life and how you can be free from sin. We'd like to speak and pray with you too, so please give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. Again, that's 443 443- 200 hope so what is the next crucial element of a true conversion it is genuine repentance join us next time as pastor tom will dive into this next step what does repentance actually mean how can you tell if repentance is genuine and have you repented of your sin you won't want to miss this next message especially if you're not sure of your own repentance come learn how to walk in a completely new way there's much more to learn from the book of acts so we hope you'll join us next time If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.